Hello, everybody. Welcome to Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Pelicone. You're listening to episode 90 of the podcast, and tonight we are covering the top five horror movies of 2006. And episode if... 90, 190. Sorry. Oh. Um. <clears throat> Oof. <laughs> Just think we were going back in time. I don't know. I was confused. <laughs> I was trying to do some math in my head. Yeah, 190. Sorry. Um. If you're new to the podcast, because I never really think often about new listeners, um, we actually have in our archives, like, uh, at this point, this will be 36 years of horror that Frank has covered. So if you go back in the archives, uh, Frank has covered every year, the 70s, 80s, and 90s in terms of his top five horror movies, um, and all those are available um, uh, for you uh, to listen to. But uh, we're in 2006 now. And um, one of the things I really wanted to discuss with you, Frank, um, considering we try to do a little bit of discussion about horror in general, is, and and we kind of had discussion right before we got on a little bit, this idea that it's like, I feel like all five of these movies, you put them in a specific order according to your taste, but it's like, I feel like a lot of the lists in the 2000s you could place, with the with a few exceptions, you could place in like any order. Like they're all like good move, good mm-hmm. to great movies with a sprinkling of excellent ones in. Um, where I feel like in previous decades you had, I don't Some know crap that I'd like wrangle in there, like the nineties. Well, yes, you did absolutely, especially in the like early nineties. There was <laughs> there is some shit that like ended up like creeping in just because uh, uh, Slim Pickens, but I, I feel like that um there's always like at least two or three in like every year. And then we've gotten to the two thousands and there was like one amazing movie. And then like four that are like good. Um, and, and this has just happened to be the one that's like five, I think are really good in, in their own ways and could be ordered by different people in different ways. Like, do you have any like idea of like, and, and maybe I'm, looking at this incorrectly do you have any idea like why that is where it's like there's there's less standouts it feels like um these things that are held up and heralded as classics of horror in the 2000s and it kind of like moves more towards the mean i guess um i mean first of all there's like a hundred and some odd plus horror movies released this year Mm -hmm. so I think with a wider, a wider range, like your, you know, your best movies tend to have a better chance of being better. You know what I mean? So, do like, you think it is just that with the the more movies are being released in the two thousands than ever? Um. So, there's been some horror movies in the past, like couple years before this, that have made a lot of money. There's some horror movies this year that make a lot of money, like not. Maybe not in any of the ones on this list, I don't think, but um, you know, a lot of remakes, a lot of like kind of a, a dearth of um I don't know, like creativity or maybe daring at, at the top in terms of like the major studios. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that those studios were willing to invest in like smaller productions um just because horror was so profitable that it almost never hurt to you know to take a risk and spend some money so you're going to release the fog from like a major you know as you're like whatever 
um fog the amityville horror remake um what other trash the hills have eyes remake this year when a stranger calls remake black christmas remake right. i mean all o those omen things. remake yeah yeah like all those things in the span of this year or within like a year of like you know 2006 um and that's where you'll make your money back because you're releasing some pg-13 trash you know under your like main banner and then you can invest in like indie movies it's almost like in the 90s where you know like miramax would put out like whatever um like they would take a chance on some quirky it's the reason why we have boondock saints right like people right. would take a chance or um suicide kings or the virgin two, day, two days in the valley yeah two days in the valley eight heads in a duffel bag like all mm. that shit just because you know it's an idea that sounds like vaguely reminiscent of something that made a lot of money so yeah why not take a chance so you've got a lot of creators um and we'll talk about this specifically with a couple of these movies but in america in particular you have a lot of creators that are guys who had like already cut their teeth on like indie or like z grade or b grade movies um who are now being given the opportunity to actually make real films and some of those people um like um andre aha for instance um had directed you know um high tension um to mm -hmm. some pretty high acclaim and then was immediately given the chance to do you know the hills have eyes and i don't right. like that movie but there still is basically a foreign indie director that's given a huge budget to make like a high profile, you know, high cost horror remake mm -hmm. of like a classic film. And no matter how you feel about that movie, I think that's pretty cool that that happens. Mm -hmm. And also like is allowing like these other creators, you know, whereas in the 90s, there's no money to be made on the low budget quickie horror movie, right? Like right. full moon is making their movies and trauma is making their movies, but until scream, like nothing's making, you know, tremendous amounts of money in the theaters, but you can release the Hills have eyes and make a couple hundred million dollars, which, you know, in the mid two thousands is like a huge friggin' success. And that paves the way for other people to get in there and make like smaller movies. And I think, you know, so you look at something like Shaun of the Dead, which was a pretty, um, almost like a big fat Greek wedding level of success from an indie perspective. Right. So people are more willing to say, Hey, you know, this quirky little black comedy horror movie that maybe didn't get made like five years before, you know, here's $10 million, $20 million to go make your, you know, your quirky little film. And people were able to do that. And I think it's, I mean, it, it really like, this is one of the first years where I think you're truly seeing like the real genesis of what we're experiencing now in terms of like horror as an almost respectable franchise. Mm -hmm. And it ain't even true here, like in this year, because there's a fantastic movie that even though it's got, you know, it's the, the number one movie on this list, even though it's got, um, like a good rating on Rotten Tomatoes. It got shit on by some pretty prominent critics when it was released. Sure. Absolutely. Um, and you wouldn't see that anymore. Like if that and, movie came and out did, And did terrible in the box office. Oh, yeah. Awful. But I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons for that, too. Sure. Um, and there's actually one really big reason, but we'll get to that when we get to the movie. Yeah. Um, but today, if this movie released, it would be, you know, probably like a, a smash hit, I would imagine. Right. It would at least have like right. a huge life. Yeah. Because remember, it's so, ahead of its time. Yeah. 
right i mean i don't want to get ahead of like, yeah. talking mm-hmm. about it but we went to see this movie in the theater together right in the smallest theater at our local cineplex with like two other people like no one went to see this movie and right. we were i think pretty blown away by how good it was when we saw yeah. it so but yeah, we'll get to that there, when we there was yeah there was three people in front of us i remember specifically like a few rows down and two behind us yeah um but yeah, so I mean the 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 highest grossing by far um this year just since you brought it up is Saw 3 at 80 million. Sure. Um gross. Um I'm just looking at gross here. Um Omen was number 2 barely um at 50 54 and then Final Destination 3 at 54. Um I mean a, a lot of movies made over uh 40 million um this year in terms of horror which in gross which I mean is a good, you know, Good what do you mean? So there you got two. I don't know. Torture born is not like appropriate for Final Destination, really. But I mean, it has that gore. It has, yeah, it has that gore ass. I mean, there's that uh, it def- you know? yeah. Saw definitely pulls from yeah, that. Hostels. And... Hostels number five on the list this year, forty seven million. Right. Dollars, you know. Yeah. It's just. Oh. <clears throat> yeah. Again, it's like that's a huge like eighty million dollars is a huge amount of money for a horror movie to make in 2006 like that's i mean like up until probably really i mean like because star wars were always outliers really it was the avengers movies and the marvel movies when a hundred million dollars stopped being like the high watermark for right you know like I remember, right. like, we used to be amazed when a movie would make a hundred million. Like, it was crazy to think that the movie could earn so much money. Oh, in sure. Now, if like, I remember correctly, it was like it was a hundred point three or something like that. It was Pulp Fiction, right? Uh, yeah, I, I don't like, know something along those lines. And it's like it was always crazy. Like that was a crazy number for something like that to draw back then. Yeah, like insane. Like you might but expect I mean, that off of Forrest Gump, but not Pulp, Pulp Fiction at that time. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. Like, I just, um, we'll, over the course of the next few years of talking about these movies, we'll get into things that are much more, um, critical darlings or like indie, like, you know, there's some artist, like more like art housey stuff coming up in the next few years. But yeah, I think that this year is a really good example of just that kind of like sea change almost. Like, this is the, whatever prelude to that towards horror being like not only a like consistently profitable genre that you can put out into you know like movie houses and expect to have like a return on your investment but also like some critical acclaim for those movies as well okay some really interesting and you know i think like for some in some ways daring ideas so following up on what you were saying a few minutes ago um about the studios like seeing profitability um and we know how the studios work but i mean so in terms of there being three horror comedies on this list um you said off air that you attribute to Shaun of the dead i actually argue there's four horror comedies on this list i think there's only one like straight horror movie sure yes right I'm only yeah. thinking of the one because it turns into a real horror, but yeah, <clears throat> sure. Like by the end, yeah, yeah, sure. you um, sure, yeah, you definitely see. Hostel comes out, 
and now there's a bunch of copies of Hostel. You know, um, Dawn of the Dead remake makes a ton of money, and now there's a bunch of zombie movies. Or, right. you know, The Walking Dead is the thing, so then you get a bunch of movies that are about zombies. You know, you don't get World War Z without The Walking Dead, I don't think. Right. Um, Remake's very big this year. I mean, yeah, and I I think a big part of that is because they're number one. You already got you know your basic script, so all you got to do is like change it a little bit, and then right, you've already got the name recognition. Yeah, because you got because Bla- you got Black Christmas, Pulse, Wicker Man, yeah, Rudge Two, Texas yep. Chainsaw, Hills Have Eyes, mm-hmm. uh, One Stranger Calls in the Omen, like all the you- yeah, I think you missed something too. If I'm not mistaken, I'm just looking at the box office. Sorry, um, there might be. Oh, yeah. I mean, shit. You had snakes on a plane come out this year and immediately be like, whatever. I don't know what the word is. Like a movie like ripped it off with snakes on a train, mm-hmm. and you got a ton of friggin' sequels this year too. Like, there's an underworld movie. Right. There's the Final Destination movie. Um. Uh shit, I'm missing something. There's a lot of like possession movies this year. So there's like American Haunting and oh fuck, what's that terrible movie called? I mean it oh the Covenant is this year, the Rennie Harlan movie. Um yeah, I don't know. It's just a bunch of there's a whole lot of shit. Right. But the fact that there's like 150 like horror movies, roughly, or something like that. Um, I think it goes to show that like even like a lot of that shit was profitable or at least enough to you know this is also the resurgence of uh full moon. Like Ginger Dead Man is this year and mm-hmm. Evil Bong is this year and mm-hmm. I mean Charles Band was like all over the place. Um and um a lot of like like low budget torture porn. Like there's a movie called Resonances and um this is when I was buying movies like constantly too. So like I own a lot of these fucking terrible ass movies. Right. Um, movie called five across the eyes, which is like, Mm -hmm. uh, um, man, deliverance esque like torture porn, I guess. I don't know. Okay. Anyway. So, so so last thing I have for you, there's a lot of like, we just read some of them off, like a lot of like, kind of like, I guess like, uh, financially, successful horror movies this year like the Saul stuff the hostile stuff again i'm kind of thinking of new listeners um you know a, a lot of people that have listened for a long time and probably know your feelings on this but like when it comes to all those remakes um texas chainsaw hills have eyes when it, and when it comes to more of the torture porn stuff like um Saul and hostile like what are your general feelings on those just so it, like we can kind of almost like disqualify them like from from your list when they first came out, I was, um, Jesus, I don't know if opposed is the right word, but definitely, uh, like I looked down on them. Like I thought they were awful. You know, I, I think, I think remakes for the most part, unless they're doing something completely different or really, really interesting, um, with the, with the original idea um take for instance the suspiria remake That's you know from it. a few years ago yep. taking like the premise and expanding upon it in a way that's completely different 
thematically and visually than the original movie like you know you're not going to get by by ripping off argento you got to do something that's your own right that movie does it right mm-hmm. really what are you doing with the stranger calls you know you're not changing anything about that movie like the fog is the same movie um the omens the same movie the amityville horror is the same movie it's just it's just it's lazy um I was never a huge fan of torture porn at all. And I think I've like, I think personally I've lessened on my tolerance for um, watching those movies now, just because I don't know, like, I don't know. I've gotten soft to my old age, but I'm not a huge fan of like over mm-hmm. like, like blood for blood's sake and whatever, unless there's a reason for it. But yeah. So can you, quickly uh maybe the maybe this will work like what's the difference between you because i know you you're fine with the terrifier series but these kind of things bother you so is it because like what's the difference between those to you i don't mind a movie making me uncomfortable with the way it treats its characters like Mm -hmm. i'm fine with that and i think that there's some some benefit to it in a lot of ways um but there has to be a purpose behind it. And if I feel like there's no purpose behind what I'm watching, if the only purpose I feel is to make me feel bad or to make me uncomfortable or to gross me out, I start to wonder about like, you know, who's, who's popping to this shit. Like right. who's, um, right. who's getting off on the idea of watching somebody get like flayed alive or sure, you know, graphically had their head cracked open. Right. But if I see it in the in in the Terrifier movies, I mean, I well, it's built to me. It's I don't know, not to put words to me. It's building a threat, and it's making me more sympathetic towards those characters and their plight, and how are they going to overcome this? As opposed to just long drawn out sure. sequences of torture. Like, yeah, I'm 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 that's that's a that's a fine explanation. I'm good with that. Okay, but I don't feel it like. Like, Hostel is building unlikable characters, so you're almost trying to force me to root for Mm -hmm. the villain. And Mm -hmm. I don't have a problem with, and we'll talk about a movie, whatever, I think it's the third movie on this list, that the villain does become kind of the main character, and you do sort of root for him in a way. But then it calls into question, it calls into question, what are you um what does that say about you right like that's Mm -hmm. that movie is provoking you to think about your own reaction to things as opposed to drawing titillation from somebody you know who gets off on right i don't know i I don't know how i explain that distinction but i think it's definitely a distinction yeah it's like the old fucking adage about porn like i can't define it but i know it when i see it like (laughs) right you know, there's movies that are incredibly graphic that I think are brilliant, and there's movies that, you know, I think are just like trash and exploitive. And mm-hmm. I'm not into it. You know, I was into that when I was younger. I'm not into it anymore. So, sure. Um, last thing, uh, before we get started, anything that came close to making the list? Oh man, Shaitan. um, yeah, Shaitan it. was the one thing that I put on there. Um, that's an interesting. Hmm possession movie i guess 
Um, there's a couple other movies that are fine. Um, All the Boys Love Mandy Lane is a decent movie. Um, just I've so you know, I'm just, gonna, I'm just running down. Yeah, sure. Um, the alphabetical list, right. so I don't want to like cast, you know, try and pretend like I have all the stuff in my head. Um, Cold Prey is a Swedish, I think. Um, or I'm sorry, Norwegian, uh, slasher horror movie that's actually pretty good. Um, actually, I might have cold prey on the list if i didn't like these five movies so much um again there's a couple uh like charles band movies um evil bong and ginger dead man that would not have made a list but are, are still pretty entertaining movies uh god there's so many bad movies <laughs> grave dancers you ever seen grave dancers at walmart constantly maybe fucking sucks no um, i don't remember that like Hatchet was out this year. That was really oh, you know what should have made the list? I can't believe I missed this. The host. The host is amazing and honestly should be on this list because it's it's pretty fucking fantastic. Then but then you would have you would have had all five horror five horror comedies, right? Right. Because I definitely would have dropped the number five movie off the list. Um There's this movie called Rest Stop that came out this year, which is like a slasher movie that I actually find to be kind of endearing. Um, really low budget, like desert horror in the vein of maybe The Hitcher, kind of. Hmm, okay. Um, God, the fucking Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie this year. The Tooth Fairy was this year. Remember the fucking Tooth Fairy? Yes. Teristas. God, God damn. <laughs> uh, Wicked Little Things is... Eh. Wicked Little Things has some okay ideas in it. It's really low budget, but that's like really early. Um, uh, Chloe Grace Moretz and Scout Taylor Compton. Okay. Um, movie. So, God, that Wicker Man movie is amazing. <laughs> for the wrong okay. reasons. And that's okay. that's about it. There's a Lucky McKee movie that came out with Bruce Campbell called The Woods that I've never seen. I'm not sure what it is. Uh. Yeah, that's that was one of those movies. Uh, just recently on the Spencer Grin doing that thing. That's like a movie you most thought about watching on Netflix type thing. Yeah, it's it's been on like two different streaming lists, and I've had it saved and still never watched it. Um, mm. but yeah, there's I've always heard like decent things about it. Um, <clears throat> there was a movie you might classify as psychological, um, thriller, but. There's a movie called Bug from this year. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of Bug. Okay. Um, Bug is super uncomfortable. Yeah. So, and, and that's why I asked because even though it's a psychological thriller, like I have some issues with that movie, but I thought it was really effective, like you were saying, in making you really uncomfortable. And it got to the point of like horror to me of making you uncomfortable. So that's why I was asking about it. But you're not that yeah, high it's, on it. Um, no, I, it, it's hard to explain. Like, it's a really great performance by um, what's her name? Ashley Judd. Yeah, Judd. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I can't explain. I I think that movie makes me too uncomfortable, where I just wouldn't want to watch it again. Um, but I don't. I I think it's a good movie. Yeah, I don't know if I. I guess. It's you a have to consider one. it a horror movie, right? Like, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I I think I think if you classify a psychological horror or I mean thriller, like I think you'd be fine because it is. I but 
Yeah, I think it gets a, it's too. Yeah, I don't know. There's definitely body horror elements to it. Like, I would argue. All right. Um, you ready to get started then? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So number five on your list is them, directed by David Moreau. Stars Xavier Palou, Olivia Bon Bonami, mm-hmm. um, and Michael Cohen. It has a sixty three percent from critics and a sixty percent from audiences all around tomatoes. So um you wanna tell us just a little bit and why I made the list. Uh so this is the only real straight horror movie on this list. Um absolutely nothing like funny in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh it's it's more or less just um home invasion survival horror movie um starts with the murder of a mother and daughter on a road by unseen assailants um later you see the couple that's the main characters like drive past the abandoned car they're staying at a house in somewhere in eastern europe right tell me yes czechoslovakia or poland or something like that um large like i don't know i don't know if i call it a mansion but it's a pretty big um pretty big house like really nice beautiful like country house um and they get home invaded by these um kind of unseen assailants uh that for the majority of the movie um they're shadowy or seen from a distance or um only just kind of hinted at um while the couple tries to escape um the husband is injured early on and so it makes it difficult for him to like get around so that's like adding to the tension of the movie um they get out of the house at one point, uh, only to find that they're still being like um, tracked, you know, through the dark, through the forest. Um, it ends up that it's a group of teenage children that have, um, for no reason, basically like targeted them and are trying to kill them and end up like dragging them both away by the end of the movie. Um, this is one of those Texas Chainsaw Massacre esque, like quote unquote, based on true events. Um, but there's no like evidence that there's any true event to this movie. Um, just some random, like, I, I think, I think they tried to claim that it was like based on some, like, again, like murder in Eastern Europe of like a couple by, yeah, it's but... like all, yeah, it was like something, um, Czech Republic, I think, if I remember correctly, yeah. like a murder happened from tourists and they claimed that was. Who knows if that ever like truly happened or right. not? And because sure. it's Eastern Europe, you're never going to find out. <laughs> um, but really well filmed. Um, yeah. very effective use of darkness and shadow and natural lighting. I think to build tension and to kind of like build a claustrophobic feeling in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, really amazing performance by um, what's her name, Bonamy. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually kind of fell in love with her watching this movie. Um, to the point where I watched some shitty movies she was in just to like see her again. But um I really felt like a lot of like pathos and tension created by her without like her becoming just like a shrill right whatever, like damsel in distress kind of character. Um she they they feel like believable people. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that's super important, especially because the threat is so ambiguous really for the majority of the movie where it's not like a masked killer or whatever you know what i mean like it's um even at the end like there's still like ambiguity because you know 
like why are they doing this you know what, what what's the line like they wouldn't play with us or something like that they say yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's, that's the only cheesy part of the movie i think yeah but i mean that's the thing is that like you're investing in these characters and they do such a good job of like yes. making them believable and in like living and breathing and i don't know i mean it's just yeah it's, agreed i mean and it feels realistic i mean because it's like you know the she doesn't bottomy doesn't end up in like you know a fucking white tank top like necessarily where you can see like blood and grime all over it and shit like that right and like you know or cleavage um it, it like it it's it feels like you know these are just people living their lives um yeah i mean i know you said you put the host on here and i, I still haven't watched that ever but um you i really enjoyed what's that you would love the host. Yeah. The host would probably be like the number like two movie on this list. Mm. I'm really annoyed with myself that I missed it. So. <laughs> I, I, and I know you put this at five. Uh, I, I really dug this movie a lot. I, I, it's very simple, um, but I think mm -hmm. it's really effective. And uh, it's uh, home invasion bothers me anyway. Right. Um, but, like the, the movie, what, like two years after this in 2008, um, that's like heralded for Home Invasion, The Strangers. Like, um, I don't like that movie, but this one, like, you know, yeah. I, I really liked a lot. And you covered a lot of it. A lot of it's the filmmaking, the claustrophobia. I also felt that the house made sense. Like, yeah, that, that's a hard thing to do when you're doing like a so a single house kind of thing, really, for most of the movie is to like logically like the house from the filmmaking standpoint is logically laid out so you can understand what is happening um, and like where they might be able to go or like where they're headed or like, you know, and I just thought that was, um, that was really well done. And it just had a lot of tension that I think kept you invested for like, whatever it was like. Yeah. 80 minutes, minutes or whatever. Yeah. Called AI, I don't know. Um, but yeah, no, I really enjoyed this. Um, despite how simple like kind of like in premise and um execution it was yeah yeah it's um it's difficult to do it's like we always we, we always used to talk about this and we talked about it a little bit when we did it on the podcast but it's like that opening like 30 minutes of high tension right like where you're building character and setting and tone and you interject abject horror into it and it makes it so much more effective right um whereas there's so many movies that just kind of want to thrust like where they feel like the building character is just making somebody say like quippy things mm -hmm. i can't remember mm -hmm. i was watching something the other day and that was kind of my reaction to it was oh you know what it was it was a podcast movie where i was thinking like you're not like building character you're just having people say things and there's a difference between giving me someone to invest in and just, you know, trying to make me laugh or trying to, and we'll talk about that again in a couple, like with the next movie, actually. Yeah, the next one. Starts. Yeah, but I was, that's you stole really, my segue. <laughs> a really good job of that too. Right. Um, Agreed. So actually, maybe even like every movie on this list does that. But anyway, yeah. yeah. Um, no, good movie. I I, I think. Uh, you know it's a good movie just throw on watch and you know like be done with it i don't think you have to think too deeply about it um but it's effective um it, it's funny to me because had you seen any of the movie we i know you'd seen one of the movies on this list two of them 
we've we've talked about the second one before on the podcast. Oh, duh. Well, of course you've seen the number one movie. Right. Um it, this is a time period where I was just buying DVDs and I would go to Walmart and Walmart constantly had like new horror DVDs for 9.99. Eleven ninety nine. Like sometimes, maybe you were spending twenty dollars, but every week I would buy at least like five or six like mm-hmm. horror movies, and I'd spend usually you know like fifty or sixty bucks. But and I'd watch some duds, but I saw some really you know good movies that year in terms of hidden gems, I would call them. And so I kind of consider this one of them. Where sure it was released in theaters, and you know it had like. There was some whatever, but horror was still niche enough where it wasn't like a anything that anybody knew about. And so right. I was really impressed right. with it when I first saw it. So, anyway. yeah. so. all right. On to uh, the number two movie. Ha ha. <laughs> Stealing all your thunder. <laughs> so um number four on your list is Severance. It is directed by Christopher Smith. Stars Danny Dyer, Laura Harris, Tim McInerney. McInerney um, and Toby Stevens. It has a 66% from critics, 61% from audiences on Rotten Tomatoes. You want to tell us a little bit about this one and why I made the list? Um, so group of um, co-workers that work for a like a weapons firm or whatever mm-hmm. um, are on a forced bonding retreat for work. Right. Um, they're on a van they go out into the woods they kind of get lost um you're introduced to them through through interactions with each other so you've got like the kind of the nerdy guy um who always is trying to help people the stoner guy the jackass that's into um that just wants to get laid um couple women one of whom is like obviously the center of a fa- or she's what she's the american transplant right is that what right. it is yes um another girl that comes off as kind of like nerdy or whatever but you can tell that like anyway so this group of people and they're kind of jackass boss um so the van stops won't let them won't continue because what there's a tree down right right um and he basically like sends them out into the woods so that they go walking and then they find this lodge. Um, they assume that this is a lodge where they're meant to stay. So they go in, settle in for the night. Um, they're hanging out. Uh, they find a tooth and a pot pie. Um, so then they all freak out and it turns out that they're not in the right lodge. Like right. they're in a lodge that's, um, and this is revealed like much later in the movie, but just to kind of like get through the description. Um, being used by Russian poachers, I guess, mm-hmm. um, as like a base of operations. And in reality, um, where they're supposed to be staying is like a couple miles away through the woods, um, where the prostitutes that the one man like rented for the evening have gone and, um, partied with like the guy that's the owner of the company or like their head manager or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of slowly builds up to that point where, um two of the people the guy that is sort of comes off as the asshole but then you kind of find to be more endearing later in the girl the like nebbish girl they like wander off and they find that the bus has been like derailed off the road and the driver's killed 
Um, there's a really, really funny bit where um, this guy who's kind of like the nerd of the group who has this bag that always has something in it that they need for any situation um, gets his leg stuck in a bear trap and they end up severing his leg right. <laughs> by trying to get him out like it just pops off of the knee. Right. And then the stoner goes to put it in the refrigerator on the van and, or in the bus and um, they forget about it and um, just some good bonding moments. And it, it does a really good job of subtly swinging back and forth between trying to make you laugh and really trying to build tension. Um, and I think that it has some good payoff by the time you get to, um, you know, the point where, where like a lot of people have died, like most of the, the group is, is dead. And you're invested in the idea of, you know, the stoner guy and the girl like getting away um, and surviving. So really straightforward in terms of like the kills. Um, again, it does a lot of stuff for good visual effect, but also, you know, has some pretty horrific scenes in it. Um, I can't remember her name. The girl with the glasses who, um, who actually I thought was the most attractive woman in the movie. Like I, I didn't understand why. The American Blonde was the one that everybody was like all hyped for because I thought the the other one, like the nerdy girl, was super yeah, attractive. Jill, Jill, I think, was the character's name. Yeah, I don't remember any any of that shit. Um, it's been we we go so long between doing these episodes. It's been like a long time now since I've watched Severance, or it feels like a long time, even if it's not been. Um, been a long time, yeah. But they just really do a good job of like building combining moments that make you laugh with moments that are truly like horrifying or really like effective um in the way they play out and like Jill if that's her name her death um is really like affecting you know and it's again like hilarious when you see the guy's leg pop off but then his death is also like really kind of poignant and um there's some really good elements to it and I I like all the characters in this movie um I'm kind of a sucker for like trapped in the woods movies anyway. So I'm down with like that whole element of it. Um, I think that it, I think even once it reveals like what's happening that you've got like these, you know, Russian poachers or whatever that are out to get everybody. I still think that um, the investment is there and I think it plays out pretty well. Mm -hmm. um, it does a really good job. It has a cold open of, the busty prostitutes and the, you know, the owner or whatever being chased through the woods and assaulted. Um, and I think it plays well in getting back to that point again. So yeah, no, just, um, enjoyable actiony bloody horror comedy type thing. Uh -huh. Yeah. I, the one thing I texted you after I had watched it, um, uh, I mean, I constantly am complaining all the time about these horror movies that, end up having slasher elements to them about the building of characters and usually how fucking annoying or pointless like the build to the characters are um and and usually making them unlikable and not i mean there's unlikable people in this but it's like i think it establishes character even if they are unlikable that you feel something for them because they feel like a real character and that's all i would ever ask for in a movie and i think this does an extraordinarily good job of building up um these characters in different ways and that certainly made it 
infinitely more watchable at that point. Yes. Um, and uh, the only other thing is uh, one of the main criticisms of this is people thinking that the uh, horror and comedy elements don't really mix very well in this movie, that it goes too far one way or the other. And I don't know if I agree with that. I think it works pretty well most of the time where you can move back and forth between laughs and I stick into yeah, laughs and yeah. being, you know, being kind of like, you know, scared for the characters and stuff like that. I actually think that's one of the more brilliant aspects of the movie yeah. is the idea that it can make you laugh one minute and then, like I said, like immediately like thrust you into a situation where you feel it, it doesn't devalue the character by making jokes. Right. Whereas like the characters aren't the butt of the joke. The joke is, you know, just a way to kind of even like heighten the tension of the, you know, right. The horror element of the movie. So yeah. yeah. And it's, it's, it's a tight rope. But yeah, it's walking a tightrope to do that, and 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 I think it makes it across fairly well, um, and all that. So yeah, I don't really agree, and that that is probably the majority of the criticism is the is the unevenness of the movie and tonally, I guess. But um, yeah, I'm not really like I don't really feel that. I just think people are really dumb. <laughs> That's my criticism. Of um, critics. yeah, yeah, um. People are people are something. All right, I'm but playing, yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll make yeah. an analogy, uh -huh. just to give some like modern world perspective. Playing a video game that came out that I'm was like wildly excited to play, and there's a lot of criticism of this game like online. Um, the game Armor Core Six by FromSoft Studio. Okay. who are notoriously known for making incredibly difficult video games that require like huge amounts of patience and repetitive effort to like learn how to play well so you can beat them. And people are complaining that the game is too hard and that they have to do things a whole lot of times to learn how to do it to get, you know, good enough to beat it. And it's like, duh, right? Like, I went into my horror comedy and they were trying to make me laugh and then like <laughs> scare me. Like, what? <laughs> What's right. going on? Like, shut the fuck up. I mean, like, you know what you're getting into. If you don't like it, don't go watch it. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't, there's plenty of stuff I don't watch because I'm just not, not super into it. Like, I don't watch a lot of war movies because it takes an awful lot for me to enjoy a war movie. But other people, like my dad, he'll watch everything that has a fucking panzer tank in it, you know? So <laughs> I don't know. Right. Teach their own. Right. Uh, I yeah, think. I don't know. This this is a this is a fun movie to me. Again, something easy to throw on, pass the time, and um, enjoy. Uh, which I think is a lot of this list in some ways. Um, all right. So number three on your list is Fido. It is directed by Andrew Curry. It stars Kason Ray, um, Carrie Ann Moss, Henry Cherney. Dylan Baker and Billy Connolly it has a 72% from both critics and audiences. So you want to tell us a little bit about this one and why I made the list? Um, this is another one of those, like it was 1099 or whatever. And I just bought it on a whim. Like I didn't know anything about it before I got it back then. Um, reminds me a little bit of, uh, uh what was it? Parents. Mm. Right. Yep. Um, yep. tonally mm -hmm. in the sense that it takes place in like, uh, 
alternate like 50s-esque universe where um say night of the living dead actually happened but our way of conquering the zombies was basically to enslave them Mm -hmm. um so the world exists where it's you know 1950s america but instead of like a microwave in every home there's a zombie butler in every home um this company zomcor zomcon i can't remember um has found a way to basically put these mind control like necklaces on zombies um that allow you to control them via remote control and they can become like your domestics so the movie does a really good job of setting like a parody of tone of like the 1950s including the info reel that would you know like infomercial type style like film reel that introduces the concept um the dress and mannerisms and language of the characters um just the overall look of the movie is really good at you know conveying like that feeling of um sort of like the darker undertones of the 50s which again i think is something that like parents did well um the film centers around a family uh k's son ray is the son um his father fuck what's that actor's name dylan baker yeah dylan baker Mm -hmm. um of happiness fame for me (laughs) um is a guy who who... paranoid or afraid of zombies yeah um because he had to put his father down as a zombie and now has become obsessed with the idea of making sure that no one in his family or himself can ever come back as a zombie um one, one of the funniest lines in the movie is he says his wife tells him that she's pregnant and he's like oh i don't think i can afford another funeral on my salary um because he's invested in paying for um a headless funeral which is when you die they remove your head and bury it in a separate casket to make sure you don't rise again as a zombie which is a really funny concept it is yes um so the family carrie ann moss is the mother um they get uh billy Connolly, who's a zombie um, because she needs to keep up with the Joneses because the president of Zomcon or whatever Zomcor has moved into the neighborhood and she doesn't want them to be like weird um, where they're the only family that doesn't own a zombie. Um, so the kid takes a liking to the zombie because he has no friends, ends up um, taking the zombie out uh, who he dubs Fido because it's his pet kind of um, to play catch with him because the dad is always off golfing and it doesn't have time for him. Um, his collar malfunctions when a bitchy old woman like beats him with her walker and he ends up biting her, which leads to a series of escalating events and a minor zombie outbreak. Um, Fido is eventually taken back to Zomcore um, under the auspices that they're going to put him down, but they're using him as like free labor. Um, and so Kai son wants to go and rescue him. Um, which he does dad ends up getting killed um and in the end like they become a nuclear family with uh fido is the father sort of and harry yeah. moss is the mother and the baby and i don't know mm. so there's a lot of stuff going on here that i think is actually really interesting um and 
I think this is maybe my favorite horror comedy on the list in terms of like a movie that really made me laugh a lot. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was actually like pretty effective as a horror film. Um, that was able to veer nicely between the two things, I think. Um, I think it's a really good social commentary on the idea of something that like you see in a lot of movies now, which is especially with the advent of AI and like, you know, things like chat GP and whatever. Um, what makes sentience, like what makes something a being or, you know, having like autonomy or ownership of its own actions. Um, these zombies are used as like, not even like, even like lower than a slave. They're an appliance or a piece of furniture that's just there to like serve a purpose. Um, but like what is that purpose and do they have like any sort of sentience to them um there's also i think a question about kind of calling into question the whole idea of like this golden generation like baby boomer era where everyone thinks that like this is you know the leave it to beaver whatever right like idyllic um like greatest like generation of of our country and like the darkness is underneath there, you know. I mean, there's a loveless marriage between Carrie Ann Moss and Dylan Baker. There's like a almost tacit neglect of the son by the father, um, whose own hang-ups and do you think he's he's gay, right? Like the golfing thing is him going out to have a homosexual affair with another man, right? I believe so. I don't know if it's ever explicit enough to definitely say that, but I think that's the implication, sure. I mean, I thought the whole thing like don't don't dads ever take their kids out to play golf and right. he's getting in the car with the guy. No. No, <laughs> no dad ever does that. Right. I always just assumed and like the lovelessness of the marriage yeah, yeah. and Yeah, I think that's the implication. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so I think it's a really good social commentary, not only on and just a lot of things, like the way that you treat an outsider, the way that, like, I think you can find um, immigration parallels here in terms of, like, you know, the domestics being this, like, underclass that some people try to find, like, some humanity in and other people are just willing to, like, sacrifice at a moment's notice. Because sure. um, you also have that interesting character. Uh, not, it's, not, it's interesting, but um, what was that? Tim Blake Nelson. Yeah, Tim Blake Nelson. Yep. Who's you know like fucking his female zombie. But then it's also there's like some grooming there as well because right. he, like, fe- mm-hmm. like was in a grocery store when a teenage girl had an aneurysm mm-hmm. and immediately collared her up so right. you know yes. he could like get her fresh. That's that's yes. the joke. Right. And the idea is, like, has he fallen in love with her? But does she really right. have any choice in the matter? And Sure. Um, I don't know. Yeah. It's, right. For yeah, it's being a movie that, like, really makes you laugh, I think, pretty consistently. Um, and does a good job of it, too. And yeah. I really, yeah. really good performances by kind of a, a who's who, like, indie cast for the time. Mm-hmm. Um has some really good gross out moments. There's some good like gore, um, nice practical effects. 
um, which again is something I think that both um, them and and uh, Severance did well too, and the next two movies also do really well. Like there's yeah. not a lot of CGI in these movies; it's a lot more like practical. Um, yeah, it's just it's it's enjoyable, good social commentary, good performances. I really find it interesting about um. So I did some some looking into Case Sun Ray, mm-hmm. um, because I think he's like decent in this movie. Like, yeah. it's, it's it's a good performance. I couldn't really remember from anything else. And that dude went crazy. Did you read about him? Um, like uh, he, he burgled a Verizon store in 2011 and got arrested. Okay. Like basically like went into a abandoned store next to a Verizon <laughs> store and tried to break in through like a shared wall. And the store was open. It was daytime. And the employees were like, what are you doing? And he tried to run away and then they just caught him. What? Yeah. That's weird. It's, it's yeah. so crazy. And he, I guess he, like did some jail time. I don't know what's what he's doing now, but um, uh, not not acting. He was in right. a short. He was in a short in 2014, but um, that's about it. Some TV movie in 2012, but I'm sure that was probably yeah. It came out in January, so I'm sure it was filmed in 2011. So yeah, it was probably before that incident. But yeah, no, I didn't read anything about that. I just saw that he changed his name from when he was a kid because he because because soon to Kason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no. I mean, I I thought every I thought everybody delivered in this movie. Um, yeah, Henry Turney. Um, is another like you know character actor that kind of is like all over the place when you look at his filmography, like bit roles in big movies, tons of television that people would like recognize him from and stuff like that. But um, sure. he plays the security chief. And I, I, I always really enjoy him. Dylan Baker's always great. Carrie on also is really good. Billy Conley under the makeup is really fucking good. Yeah. As Fido. Um, yeah there's a lot of, a lot of emotion. Yeah. Surprising emotion from like a zombie character. Right. I think that's true for a lot of the zombies in the movie. I mean, I think, yeah. I, I feel like there was definitely some backlash to this movie or at least like sort of a lack of interest just because of the glut of zombie movies that have been out. Um, but I think it's actually a pretty interesting take on the, the genre and um, I enjoyed it. I was invested. This is another one of those movies where I was just completely taken by surprise by it because I had you know, no idea what it was. I just bought it to buy it. Like I would do with a lot of things back then, um, but yeah, really, really happy with it. Really impressed. Um, I had sort of forgotten about it honestly until um, this list came up, so I was pretty happy to watch it again. Yeah, it was a real fun movie um, to watch. But like you said, there, there, there is a lot of social commentary there, and there's a darkness that um, belies the entire thing that yeah. I think is really interesting. There's, there's a really, this is a really small scene, but it's really beautiful when. Um, uh Fido has had his his collar has been fucked up and he's murdered the woman and then um the kid fixes it and they're walking back and it's a shot like up through the trees into the sunlight and it's kind of implied to be from Fido's perspective like I guess like sort of just appreciating and assessing like nature and it's so like vibrant blue in terms of the the sky Mm-hmm. And the green is so like dark and deep because it's you know the shat like shadow of the canopy of the trees, and um it really reminded me a lot of Blue Velvet in that mm-hmm. instance mm-hmm. like I mean kind of the same feeling of Blue Velvet but sure. um 
probably intentional, I'm sure, given yeah, the sure. subject matter, you know? Yeah. But just really like a nice homage, if if that's the case, without actually being like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge mm-hmm. homage, you know, it's just mm-hmm. like a really beautifully shot visual. Um, yeah, that you just I don't know. I mean, even if that's not the case, like it yeah, was, it, it was Twitter. a good feeling to. I mean, I don't know this director that well, um, and didn't really look him up, but I mean. Most people that are directing film are students um, enough that they would have seen that opening, amazing opening scene of Blue Velvet um, with the bright blue sky, you know, that, you know, the bright blue, like sky blue and the green grass and the guy having a heart attack and everything, white picket fences, like everything so vibrant, like in the beginning there. Uh, But yeah, I thought that was a really enjoyable movie as well. Um, Uh, let's see. Number two on your list is a movie we have already talked about before. It's the only one on the list we've talked about. You have to go way back to episode 107. It's the top five movies filmed in Maryland. Um, mm, I forgot about did. that. Yeah. Jesus, that was 100. Well, that was 80, 83 episodes ago. Fuck me. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah. That was, uh, it was, uh, May, April of 2001. Um, Man, so some fucking COVID podcasts in there. It definitely was, yeah. Um, so this is uh behind the mask, the rise of Leslie Vernon. It is directed by Scott Glosserman. It stars Nathan Basil, uh, Angela Gothels, Robert England, Scott Wilson. Has a seventy six percent from critics, seventy five percent from audiences. So you want to kind of just refresh us briefly about what this movie is and why you like it so much. Um, it starts out sort of as like a, like a pseudo mockumentary. Um, Leslie Vernon is a, uh, a serial killer, um, budding serial killer who is trying to build this legend, um, of himself, um, find his final girl. Like there's all these things that are tropes of the horror, um, horror genre and in particular like the slasher movie genre um but it's told from the perspective of like this uh young like college age filmography group who are attempting to um like document his transformation and his building of the character um some really funny elements um i think in a lot of ways it does just as good a job as something like scream in terms of Mm-hmm. almost like breaking the kayfabe in a lot of ways of the horror genre and um what these like the fact like taking it almost like tongue-in-cheek seriously the serial killers are real and um what's his name who is like kane hotter right kane hotter uh, yeah uh, who plays like his elderly mentor mm-hmm. who was kind of like a michael myers-esque serial killer at one point and how Leslie is trying to like live in those footsteps and um, really does a great job of building him as a believable and relatable protagonist. And then immediately flips it to be like, almost to say to you, you idiot, like how are you, you know, sympathizing with this guy who, 
like is a like a cold-blooded killer it's um it's pretty well done i think pretty um even towards the end still kind of calls into question like can you root for this guy even though you know he's he's living his dream like this is the guy that's like doing his whatever his heart's desire is his job but unfortunately that means that he's like slaughtering other people right but the methodology behind it i think there's um i think there's a really interesting element of folklore or urban legend to it too in the idea of almost like how a how a local myth is built kind of and the idea of like these seemingly unrelated circumstances like mm. leading to um you know the investment of the community and the idea of this character right um i don't know i find all this stuff really fascinating uh, i think that it's i think the performances are all really good um i really like the minor homage of having um uh what's his name england kind of play like donald pleasant's character up to and including like the costuming and the um the way that he talks and the way that he acts and i I think it's probably one of the best, like, and I, I'm not a huge fan of this term, but I think it's one of the best, like, love letter movies to horror, mm-hmm. just in terms of kind of a, one of those, like, if you know, you know, type things, if you, like, get the reference, you get it, and it doesn't beat you over the head with it, Um, even though it, like, directly refers to certain, like, you know, horror icons or whatever. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know, just I another movie that I knew nothing about. Um, I don't even know why I bought it. I, I bought. I I, rem- I have a very distinct memory. You and I were at Walmart, and I just saw it sitting there. It was um. I don't know if you remember. Walmart used to have like a whole, like huge section of like discounted DVDs. I do remember. And they were, um, sh- like just just off the floor on like a riser, and then up on racks, like going up. And this was like just sitting there. I had seen it a few times and I thought anything of it, but then, you know, it was just like, whatever, it was like $10 and I'll take a chance and just really blown away by how much I enjoyed it. And I think I watched it twice in the same weekend. And um, it's a movie I've watched, you know, four or five times since I enjoy it every time I see it. Um, Yeah, just, I don't know, it's a good movie. Two things. It's really funny. I I I don't listen. I I I rarely, rarely ever listen to anything from the podcast. I did listen to our discussion of this um, yesterday, and <clears throat> from one oh seven. And uh, it's really funny that you remember, like immediately, like you know Robert England, like doing the Donald Pleasance role, um, because you couldn't remember Donald Pleasance's name, um. <laughs> two uh two and a half years ago yeah and you know like, struggled with it when i when i start when i said robert england and i started to say it i was my first thought was i'm not gonna remember this fucker's name again and then it just was like right there <laughs> uh, that's like trauma based then it's like it, it is <laughs> so that's how you learn right but um uh so the other thing going to walmart uh, now that you mentioned that I don't want to get off topic here, but it's like um, when we did that, it's really hard for me to remember. Were were we just stopping to like, did we need things, or were we, or were we, I don't remember, or were we stopping just because we were out getting coffee and it's like we we're going, you're going to check out the movies and stuff. No, you would like one of us would need something sometimes. Okay, gotcha. 
we will go out and get coffee and it was when i was living at um i think it's when i was living over it's the hermitage at that point yeah yeah you're right yeah uh, anyway, so yeah, yeah, we would just like be driving back. We would get coffee up in uh, Newark somewhere, either on eight ninety six or over in yeah. um, New People's Plaza. Yeah. And it was on the way back okay. either way. And okay. yeah, just curious. Okay, yeah, I, I just little things like that. Like... And right, uh, the other thing too was that this is at a time when number one, I lived in a haunted house, so it was really hard to sleep, <laughs> and I also didn't have cable. So a lot of times it would just be like, "Hey, I want to stop here and find something to watch right. tonight." Right. Yeah. You know, let me let me blow. Yeah, because I was still even at this point, I was still buying DVDs as well. Because like, who who went to a rental store at this time? I don't. I like. I it was so funny though. It's like they they like everything was so cheap, and we had just enough disposable income. Yeah. Like to just buy things for ten dollars or whatever, you know, rather than ever like rent anything. Um, and it's like I mean, pre, it made, it's pre Netflix, right. you know. I mean, uh, yeah, it made it's more a, sense. Like you, yeah. you were building a collection of um, movies that you could watch, like in the future. And right. yeah, I don't even know if I could get cable at that time. I think that, I think in the Hermitage, I would have had to pay like extra to, mm. um. To get cable somehow, like I would have had to like pay to have them come out and run it or something because they didn't have it. So it was just, just much cheaper for me to like buy like again, you know, a few DVDs every week and right now. Yeah. All right, but, yeah, um, this is, yeah. this is a movie that it's. I don't know if it's free anywhere right now. Like I own it on DVD, it's so not, every time I watch it, I just watch it on DVD. It's but, not. Um, it's definitely if if you get the chance to see it, it's worth watching. Um very enjoyable very um good good tension uh good acting um i think a really good plot and i think maybe one of the best like mockumentary style movies that doesn't fall into like the found footage genre where it's like actually a believably filmed like real quote-unquote movie so right um yeah oddly um two and a half years apart i've never seen this movie up anywhere it's always it's always been a rental like i had to run it both times so mm. um all right so number one on the list is uh slither directed by now dc co-ceo james gunn it stars Nathan Fillion, Elizabeth Banks, Michael Rooker, Greg Henry, and Tanya Solne. It has an 87% from critics and a 63% from audiences. Probably the biggest gap between any movie on this list. Yes, it is. Um, so, want to tell us a little bit about this and why it's number one on the list? Um, alien invasion horror film um, about a uh, small town. Um where a meteorite crashes that is the vehicle i guess in so many words of a sentient alien parasite um that infects michael rooker uh oh, fuck what is his name is it duke duke or what is his name duke what his his name in the in the movie in the movie is uh rooker's name i'm trying to remember myself um that grant 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 yeah fucking yeah. hilarious yeah um who's like the richest yeah. man in town basically yeah 
um he becomes infected with the parasites uh and in turn um is driven now to infect other people um he so the first part of the movie is kind of like just building these characters so the Philian character the banks character rooker um the other denizens of the town um who are all just kind of like small town like hicks almost um while rooker is dealing with like the nascent stages of his infection and then the movie like just goes kind of like ape shit so it's survival horror zombie horror um body horror like all combined into one um as rooker is infecting like all the people in the town basically the only people left are um fillion and banks and a couple other people yeah um rooker's like they become part of a hive mind once he infects them so it's uh um the the homages in this movie are almost like uncountable i mean it's uh invasions of the body snatcher the thing um alien uh night of the creeps is a huge influence on this movie um i yeah mostly like body snatchers the thing night of the creeps alien like all those things are very much at the forefront of this movie um it ultimately leads to um rooker is still in love with banks who's his wife uh he's trying to turn her um she's the only one that he like kind of refuses to infect um they end up blowing him up at the end of the movie um so as the uh the survivors are leaving you see um or after like i guess the coda of the movie is this cat like going up to rooker's corpse um and the cat getting infected with this parasite as well to whatever like i guess set up a sequel that will never happen possibly but also right. just kind of that yeah. um horror coda of the horror is not really gone type thing which is you know always pretty effective but mm-hmm. um really funny a uh, very darkly comic um some scenes that i kind of consider to be sort of like iconic for this time period um in particular brenda or whatever her name is like the local like town slut like blown up to yes like a thousand times her normal like infested right yeah wanting to eat a possum um that seems right. really funny can, can you hand me that right yeah can, can can i get a little piece of that possum <laughs> over there right um yeah but yeah just very very dark very much comedy. actually that scene reminds me of um big trouble in little china when one of the storms oh yeah himself yeah. Uh-huh. up and the face is kind of peeking through the fat like yeah blown up body yeah um amazing movie in the sense that for as graphic as it is and as wildly inventive um mostly done with practical effects um but yeah just i don't know like the the movies that this movie is the movies that james gunn obviously loves when he's making this movie are some of my favorite movies so um i think this movie is amazing i think that I think there's a reason that Fillion has always been kind of like like the B-list like heartthrob that, you know, when you can't get like an A-list or you can get Nathan Fillion and he'll do like do the job for you. 
Right. Um, and I think he's got like this like charm. His delivery is mm-hmm. on point. Yeah. He, he's got really great chemistry with Banks, and I'm not the hugest fan of Elizabeth Banks in general, but hmm. I think she's really good here. Yeah. Um, I don't like her. I I feel like she plays the same character all the time. I think that's my problem with her. Like I don't think there's I don't think there's a character. I just think there's Elizabeth Banks, and hmm. like your mileage may vary there. Yeah. Um. Rooker is fantastic. Yeah, uh, Greg Hen- whole... Greg Henry. Oh yeah, amazing. Killing killing it in this movie. Um, which uh, big trouble coming up again. Um, Jack McCready. Um, the name of Greg Henry is based off of um, Kurt Russell's roles in Big Trouble and um the thing. Yeah. Um, like purposely like the listed there. Um. Yeah, Greg Henry is this like small guy who shows up and a lot of his uh, specifically gun stuff, but um always kills it every single time yeah. like, that he has a small role. Like <clears throat> I love that guy and he's he's hilarious in this movie. He's the um like the Western Europe um Dennis Farina or something. <laughs> kind of <laughs> Um, so it's a really good movie. It's definitely worth watching if you're into um body horror or alien invasion, like that's a pretty perfect movie. Um you have to pay for it right now. I don't think it's free anywhere. I had to pay for it anyway. I had to yeah, I had to get it through YouTube. Yeah. Um, um pay for it's it. It's on it's it's like two ninety nine on Prime, two ninety nine on YouTube, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing that I think is most interesting to talk about in terms of this movie is the mm-hmm. fact that it was pretty reviled at the time by a lot of people and universal i think is its parent company like distanced themselves from it and mm-hmm. um generally garnered like some pretty negative uh, critical reaction including um uh roper saying that he was just tired of zombie movies quote unquote and right um did not do well at all at the box office earned what like 3 million dollars or something like that mm-hmm. Which we were, you know, you and I were like 17 of that. So, right, right. So, here's my theory on why this is the case with mm-hmm. this movie. Most of the movies that were highly successful in this time period are movies that are remakes, reimaginings, sequels, and are almost all PG 13 films, right? Right. Because what you're getting at this time is the the teen crowd that's coming in on a Friday night for their date and they can't get into an R rated movie. So they're putting them into PG 13. I mean, this is why like people were so like reticent to film things and, you know, to make like R rated films for a long time. Um, That's why like Deadpool was so surprising to people because you could actually get a movie that would be traditionally thought of as like a kid's movie Mm -hmm. um, and get adults to come and see it. So I think that, by and large like most people just kind of ignored it because the people that would have come to see it and would have probably made it a pretty big success were too young to get in yes or we're going to see fucking the fog or whatever Mm -hmm. um the other thing i think is that i think the references are a little too on point even though you don't need to get the references to understand the movie i think that it really helps to improve your enjoyment of it if you kind of understand everything that james gunn loves when you're watching the movie right um 
and I think it's a little too dark for some people. Like I think the grotesqueness of like the worms and the uh-huh, tentacle right. creatures and right. just like the overall what whatever God, Michael you know, Rooker turns into. Right. <laughs> like, it's I mean like the one when they're on the farm, it's almost like like Lovecraftian in some mm-hmm. ways. Um yeah, there's definitely some cosmic horror to it. In fact, yeah. the scene with um with the father and the two daughters where he's like uh I don't know, it's uh po- poison ivy, may- maybe <laughs> um right. and the daughter's like we're just so itchy. <laughs> Very much like the color out of space in terms of the, you know, mm-hmm. the family being like taken over by this right. thing. Um, yeah, the 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 Brenda exploding into a, a million worms thing is yeah, horrific but hilarious, you know, like she's still just this sassy like asshole. Right. Everybody and just, you know, even I, I ain't nobody ever been this fucking hungry before in their right. life. <laughs> Hand me a little piece of that possum over there. <laughs> yeah. And then the shot to the dead possum just kind of like looking at I don't know. Uh, it's yeah. So many like small moments in this movie they are just hilarious. Right. Um and made all the better by I think by Philly and, and um and Banks and their chemistry with each other. Um and then the supporting cast around them. And just Rooker as like a scene chewing mm-hmm. villain, even when he's covered with like a thousand pounds of you know prosthetics. Oh, um society there's definitely elements of society right in it. I mean, right, right so so many things yeah. like i know that gun himself said that uh shivers also was mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm. um like one of the things that he really like thought about a lot while he was making this yeah so yeah I, there's a lot going into it i mean like this is definitely i mean because i'm trying to think what he this is his first this is his directorial debut feature um, film debut yeah he had directed some shorts, I think, before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Feature film. Um, but he oh, had no, written... no, no. He had directed. Um, did he direct Tromeo and Juliet? He just he wrote direct... that, right? Is that right? Yeah, this is his first movie that he direct. He's an associate director, sorry, on Tromeo, but he's not listed as the director. Um, that's when he's like, kind of like cutting his teeth under Lloyd Kaufman. Um, but he writes a script for that, and then he writes a script for the specials and Scooby Doo and Dawn of the Dead, which we talked about um a couple months ago. Um, the Scooby Doo sequel, and then this is his first directorial um feature directorial like debut. Yeah. Um. Yeah, because it's actually um Lolly Love. Uh, he helped co- co-write with Jenna Fisher, but Jenna Fisher directed the um like that kind of what novella type movie um because i don't think yeah it's only 64 minutes lolly love but um it's the one that gets referenced all the time why is the world why is the world always fucking me yes yeah uh so yeah i thought it was really interesting i this going back and watching this i still enjoyed it um and the thing is is the like eight of us that were in the theater when we saw this everybody in that theater enjoyed this movie Mm -hmm. it was a really good experience um the family that was in front of us. Um, it's like husband, wife, and kid like really enjoyed the movie. Um, the couple behind us really enjoyed the movie, and we all enjoyed it. And um, so yeah, it was always weird to me that it like wasn't more successful. And I don't think anybody was counting on it, but I'm really surprised. Like with the, I mean, it's what 
four years later, but I'm surprised like the Fillion Firefly fan base didn't like kind of like flock to this to some degree. Um, yeah, I, I think it was too different. I mean, those yeah. are people that look, your wife is my friend and everything, but people that are into Star Trek don't generally enjoy things that are good. <laughs> so I, I really think that there's an element of that where it's like, oh, I need to. Uh, I I can't debase myself by watching this. Well, film. it's in, it's interesting that you mentioned that because um it, it's the, the only movie that he's directed that she hadn't hadn't seen. So um she watched it with me and, and probably really enjoyed it. She did, yeah. Um, yeah. she thought there was elements of it that was a product of its time and like could ignore it if she really like as we really started like talking about it in depth. Um. Like she well, thought, like, like, like the bathtub scene, she understood that it was an homage to the number of bathtub scenes, but she thinks it's um for a teenage character, like in the bathtub, she thought it was a little like eh, um to be eh. doing that, but she understood that it's a product of the times and that like it is referencing all the movies that came before. But right. as she gets older, all those movies that came before are a little grading to her. Um, but she really is grading to everybody who can watch fucking Saturday the 14th now or oh, oh. I've never watched that again because I don't want to know. I enjoyed it as a kid and I know I would not enjoy it now. And so there's a scene in that movie where the teenage girl and she's not even like teenage, like 18 teenage. She's like 14 teenage. Yeah. Is basically molested by the creature from the Black Lagoon in her bathtub. Yeah. yeah, you told me this. Yeah, yeah like super, when you and Orion talked about it. Yeah. Super uncomfortable to watch, like right. now. I'm sure. Um, but a, a couple other real quick things. This was like that period to me where Fillion could have broke through, like and really broke through. And this was around like the time period where people were talking about like the possibility of like those various iterations of indie four scripts. He might be the brother in it and stuff like that. And it's like, I think Fillion was right there on the cusp if he would have gotten the right role. And if this would have been more successful of like breaking through, maybe probably not into the A list, but into that kind of like, you know, B plus A minus list. So here's my question about that. Don't you think that's just a product of the fact that Nathan Fillion is super loyal to people that he likes? Yes. That he yes. can't get himself past the idea of like, he's got to go do a movie with James Gunn or, I Agreed. don't know, I mean. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, highly successful. I mean, like, I, I Brandy and I watched the first season of it and not a very good show to me, but I mean, um, very successful show in the rookie um that he's had on for years now including a spinoff i mean like um and he does all this like shit with his friends still and and, and it works um for him but it's like he he was on the cusp i think of like possibly like being in that vein of like taking over a franchise at some point and this was that period and i think it might have happened or been would have been furthered by this movie being successful. And I think that's an interesting like twist of fate and like kind of, you know, minor twist of fate in film history. Um, but um, 
the other thing I think is like it's fascinating to go back just like we did with Zack Schneider um seeing Dawn of the Dead and like his like kind of directorial debut I think it's fascinating to see James Gunn directorial debut here and kind of see like over the course of like the next like you know roughly almost 20 years like where they ended up um and oddly enough both of them ended up in the DC realm, like, you know, both yeah. in some degrees controlling it. Um, and they have that link together of Gunn writing the script for that and Snyder directing it. Um, it's um it's pretty interesting, like, you know, the the twist of fate here and how everybody's kind of had sort of successful careers out of this. Sure. This is still early on in the run. Jenna Fisher has a small role in this as a secretary. Um because her and Gunn were married at the time. I mean, this is early in the run of the office. has a has a successful, you know, like um, one of the more recognizable characters in sitcom history. Um, Michael Rooker has had a really solid um, career, um, in part like due to James Gunn as well. Like you know, James sure. Gunn is loyal to him at this point, and Rooker's loyal to Gunn. Um, Fillion has a successful career. Elizabeth Banks just has like a like a mega indie hit basically in Cocaine Bear um in the past year as a director. Um like yeah, I mean it's just um I still have not watched that movie. I haven't either. It's like been on my peacock list for um I don't know, since it came out, I guess. Yeah. I'll watch it at some point. Um <clears throat> but yeah, it's 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 interesting to go back and watch this. But I think this is a movie that still holds up to this day. Um, and in fact, I think it was a little bit ahead of its time. If this would come out like in the past, like five or six years. Oh yeah, would massive be hit. Massive hit. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that is I don't know. I don't. Maybe some of that is because of the sense of humor is. Um, maybe think like some of the humor of like Guardians and stuff like that has crept more into society and is already present in this movie, and people are more ready for it now or something. I don't know. Um, I don't know if it's the Times. I don't know if it's his other works. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, the criticism from audiences though is actually much more recent, and it's like things like I can't believe this is the Guardians guy that like did this, and you know, um, I don't understand this movie at all and shit like that. Um, so I think it goes to what you're towards what you were saying, which is like there's some people that just aren't. They're never going to be into this. They weren't at the time, and they still aren't. Like because of the body horror and gross out elements and all that kind of stuff. But right. I mean again, I think that there's an element of enjoyment to this movie that comes from picking out what gun is referencing. Right. And it's never anything that I think is like derivative or whatever. I think it's all just genuine affection and when you know. Yeah. But I think it's it's definitely like obvious, you know, what, what the man loves. So I don't know. Yeah. All right. Um, well that uh gets us through thirty six years of horror now at this point. Uh nice. and the we still have seven, eight, and nine left to go. Um for this decade. Uh we'll be back in the next couple of weeks um with the series that nobody cares about, our Summer of Steel. We'll be wrapping that up in the final installment. We'll be covering Zack Schneider's um 
Superman movies, uh, uh, Man of Steel and Batman. Is it Superman versus Batman or Batman? It's Superman versus Batman, right? Not Batman versus Superman. No, I think it's Batman versus Superman. Is it? Okay. I believe so. I keep getting confused all the time. If it's Superman versus Batman, it's a terrible title because you should never unalphabetize for any reason. Plus, Batman is more popular than Superman. It is Batman versus Superman. Dawn of Justice. Yeah, Dawn Dawn of Justice. Justice. I keep forgetting that as well. So you can join us for that um, in the next couple of weeks, and then we'll be back at the end of next month uh, with the top five horror movies of 2007. So thanks for listening, everybody, and have a great week. Give it to me, Frank. Oh, deuces. My bad.